I'm Megan. I'm Tyler. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Megan. We're in season two. We're in season two. And I'm becoming aware that I think I say maybe almost every episode, oh, this is such a classic. And I'm so excited for this one. And so I know I need to be more selective about that. But I do think this is one of my all-time favorites. I was thinking that as I was re-watching, I was like, I remember Megan said, like, this is the episode of the show that you think about a lot. And that like, you're like, you're like in some ways, I felt like this episode inspired the podcast for you. Yeah, it it gives now, now we've got the whole backstory on our Dundies Awards. I do and- feel as if I now have a much better understanding of what I should be going for when assigning Dundies. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm not, we'll see, we'll see with the Dundee yeah. I'm going to get out today, but. Um, you might also see that the bar is so low and uh, non-systematic and all of that, that you've got a lot of, a lot of room to wander. I feel like every time we start this podcast, I'm always like, can you believe we're still doing it? Can you believe we're watching? <laughs> I know. But I, I know. feel like now I'm like, no, I believe it. We're in this now. And I feel like yeah. we're committed and. Uh, <laughs> and it feels to like I find myself thinking about our conversations and about the office like I keep returning to certain debates or like ideas we've had in the context of these discussions so I feel like it is now a, like a very real part of my um I don't know way of thinking or something yes yes intellectual life <laughs> yeah right exactly exactly um as we launch into season two, are you are there any like, I don't know, things you're excited about that you're looking for? Are there wishes you have for season two? You know, like what's ooh, give me a sense of like what to what should I be looking for? Well, I have one big thing I want to look forward to, and that's the appearance of chilies within the show. <laughs> So that's big. Does it reappear? But, is this is this just the first of many? I don't know how many, but it does it does reappear. Okay, and it, and it brings me it brings me a lot of joy whenever it does appear. Um, but I don't know. Do you have hopes for this episode, or I mean, for the season? I haven't thought about that. I mean, I'm like this episode definitely made me be like, oh, okay, like the love plot, the Jim and Pam love plot is like on the front burner and like yep. we're, we're going to be focused on on that um that baby is starting to simmer yeah and i was like oh and i guess jan jan made an appearance on the phone right um yes so there's that aspect uh like i'm kind of excited to see whether where she plays in like whether she becomes mm-hmm. more of a central character mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know it seemed like the downsizing plot is completely gone I don't know if they were like, we're good on that or whether, or whether that comes back. I don't, I'll be really curious to see what happens with that. Yeah. I think it is interesting to see now too, the ways that some of the characters start to kind of come together. And yes. Some of them, I feel like we haven't quite yet. Like we don't yet have Kelly, for example, as she will turn out to be, but I think, um, it's sort of fun to see as a show hits its stride, I think, and yeah. kind of like gets its gets in its groove. And I think it's definitely getting in its groove now. The other big impression and thing that I always think about when I transition from season one to season two and my watches is Michael's hair. And Michael's hair changes. 
Did you notice the hair change? I noticed that it was not as bad. I thought it was like much better hair. Like, cause in the, in the opening credits, yeah. uh, and especially in season one, like it's kind of slicked back and looks uh-huh. very greasy and like kind of, um, I don't know, you know, um, it just yeah. looks kind of gross. Um, which yeah, I guess is the point. Uh, maybe the gels slicked back. Yeah. It looks more bad. <laughs> I think a lot of people think that he did something with his hair, like that he's got more. So it looked also like he had more of a receding hairline the last season. Yes. yes. But controversial opinion. I don't think it's actually new hair. I really think it has to do with the styling. Oh, I'm going to no, get a I lot agree. of pushback. I think I'm going to get some phone calls from my family arguing, disputing that point. But I really think without the gel, without the comb back, with the different approach, I think uh, I think it's same. I think it's same head of hair, but we are getting a different style. So, is your family's theory that like he got hair plugs or? Yeah. Oh, they're like it's fundamentally different. No, I'm like you know what? If we look, I, I've I've looked at this really really closely, and not that it matters, but I do think it it shows how you know how different hair can look depending on how you comb it. I do find that fascinating. Like it is truly fascinating to me how like, I don't know, something as small, well, seemingly small as hair, like it seems to radically change my perception of people's personalities, like, or yeah. their entire being, you know? Um, but- Because uh, does he seem yeah. sort of more sleazy with the slicked back hair as opposed to this version? I definitely think so, yeah. yeah. And I feel like that was one of the shifts in his character here. Like they definitely still have him doing racism and stuff. But I mean, as we'll talk about, like the plot kind of makes him more um, I don't know, sympathetic or something. You know, mm-hmm. he's like a lovable mm-hmm. goof as opposed to a yeah. somewhat mean-spirited dick <laughs> um, in this episode. <laughs> uh, so maybe the hair change sort of was like intentional to reflect that. I don't know, but... Uh-huh. Um, but tell me about Chili's. What are your, what, 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 tell me your thoughts on Chili's. You know, I have passionate and strong opinions about Chili's. Yeah, I think we have a lot to say on uh, a personal level about Chili's. And I do want to get into that. Let me start with my big question. And that is, is Chili's a great American institution? Gosh, that's a good question. Isn't that a good one? So one thing I've been, a couple of things I've been thinking about related to that. Has every American been to Chili's? Like, is this a safe bet? Do you know what I mean? Is this such an American institution that it's that recognizable? Then for international office fans, do we have an accurate representation of Chili's here? Mm. I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts about Chili's, its place in the American landscape and its representation on the show. Well, you're going to have to help me with this a little bit, but I will, you know, just based on my own anecdotal experience. Well, so listeners, you may not be aware. going on. <laughs> this is not a strategic study, but anecdotal evidence based on chilies. Yeah, my quality, my ethno, my ethnography of chilies. I, I will just say that, like, I, you know, and, and maybe the listeners don't, um, that I love a chilies. It was a staple of my youth. Um yeah, it was not necessarily it, okay. So it was a restaurant that I would go to, like with my mother, 
you know, after my parents split up, you know, but it was not like the family restaurant where we all went before their divorce. So to me, like Chili's is this like kind of post-divorce, it's a liberatory space. (laughs) And and we would, and it was right next to the movie theater. And I loved going to the movies. I would go to the movies every week, every Friday. And for those uh, who are like, you know, uh, younger than us, like, um, one of the things to do, at least in my town, like there wasn't much to do. And so people would like go to the movies, but like not actually go watch the movie. You would just like hang out at the movies and then like maybe <laughs> go somewhere nearby and eat some food or whatever. It was like a weird social geography, but Chili's was like a crucial part of the relationship to the movie theater. And so that was this other thing where it's like, you know, I'm in high school and it feels like, like in the way that when you went to a diner by yourself and you ordered, you know, and you sat there for hours drinking coffee or whatever in college, or that was the thing that we did. That's what Chili's was also for me. So, so all of that is to say that when people, like, I love talking to people, you know, about like, or, you know, and especially students and stuff about like, oh, what's your favorite chain restaurant or what's your favorite fast food? It's like always a safe, question to like break down barriers or whatever and no one ever says chilies and when I say oh my god chilies they are sort of like bewildered like I guess yeah sure but like they'll mention Applebee's or a TGI Fridays or a um I mean frankly increasingly my students are like oh I wouldn't I wouldn't go to a chain restaurant and I'm like we are both like suburban American trash. So like, of course you would go to a chain restaurant, but like they would say Chipotle before they would say Chili's, I feel like. So all of that is to say, like I have always thought of it as like a key staple of American chain eating. Um, But I'm like, I'm like wondering if I was actually, if it was just like a Pennsylvania regional thing or whether it was anyway, but my love for it is, intense and strong and we will get into that more specifically but what are what are your thoughts like do you think everybody's been to a Chili's what are your associations I'm totally with you in that that I thought it was a complete staple of American life and that's for the Midwest so not a local Pennsylvania thing it was definitely big in the Midwest this is making me wonder if it kind of if the pinnacle Chili's era just has passed us and it really was sort of in our, our coming of age, but it was definitely the restaurant that I went to with my family when you would go out to eat. It was a very family restaurant for me. Um, and I particularly loved the chicken fingers that they had. Yes. I yes. can't remember if they called them fingers, tenders, like what the category was, but they used to have this kind of, it was almost like a beer batter, but this yes. bread on it that was so good so they good. changed it they don't use the same breading any longer or at least they didn't the last time that I tried to order it and it was disappointing mm. but so good it would kind of like slide off of the chicken it was so like fluffy or something it was great but I just always found Chili's to be a wonderful restaurant and I always thought it was a great restaurant and so then later yeah. in life when people kind of knock chilies a little bit like what I just I thought it was wonderful yeah well uh, 
name me a better name me what's better like like in Ithaca for example there is a Chili's across the street is a Longhorn Steakhouse I think or no a Texas Roadhouse that's what it's called Texas Roadhouse um like and I don't know I've never been interested in any of those kind of like steakhouse type mm-hmm. chain restaurants um for some reason anyway yeah I'm like name me a better like Applebee's I've never had a good meal there I've ended up there quite often but Mm -hmm. I've never once enjoyed the food that I've eaten at an Applebee's um a TGI Fridays maybe you know maybe but I I would still say Chili's is pound for pound a better a better meal and to go back to that I also ordered the chicken tender situation yeah and the fries that came with it Mm -hmm. with the particular seasoning and the honey mustard. For years, I have maintained that the honey mustard at Chili's is objectively the best honey mustard that our culture has produced. And when I went there, like, you know, after having not gone to a Chili's in 10 years, and it still tasted like the same honey mustard. And I was right. like, yes, yes, there are some things good in this world. And they are the honey mustard at Chili's. Yeah. Did you well, eat the... um? corn on the cob that would come with the with the uh, fries and the chicken tenders good question I I feel like I'm mostly the, the most memories I have of it I think are ordering the kids meal version of it that I don't think came with corn or did it I definitely would be eating the corn on the cob but I don't really have that as present in my memory the other thing thing that Chili's always makes me think of is when we used to go there in graduate school actually yes yes with our roommate Josh whose hand I slammed in the door of the car one of the times we went to Chili's so I also <laughs> I have one haunting memory that's associated with the Chili's parking lot um so I guess Pam Jim and I have all had and Josh <laughs> profound emotional experiences in Chili's parking lots um but that has not ruined Chili's for me. And I think um, Michael's choice and Michael's own commitment to Chili's is something that I find really endearing. For some reason, I, I don't recall when we went to Chili's in graduate school, really ordering margaritas. You would think that that's what we would have done, but I don't recall doing that. I recall maybe drinking beer or something. But yeah. when, when we moved to Ithaca and went to Chili's here, that was my first encounter with the Presidente Margarita, which oh. is, you know, importantly displayed in this <laughs> episode in the archival footage behind um, Michael. And, yes. and I was like, you know, like the Presidente Margarita is a great um, uh, value drink. And you get a, you get a really, you get essentially like two margaritas out of it. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty solid. And uh, anyway, I, it just, it, it made me nostalgic and want to go get Chili's margaritas. Um, oh, yeah. wait, one more thing about the food though. I mean, we're going to talk about Chili's a lot, I assume, but <laughs> you remember the skillet queso? Did you ever get <laughs> skillet queso? Yes. You actually introduced me to the skillet queso. It's so good. Michael mentions it in this episode. Well, skillet queso gets a really nice shout out here. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, yes. yes. Whoever wrote this episode knows where it's at. Yes. Mindy Kaling wrote this one. Oh, I love her. I, I need to like see if she's ever been interviewed about her love of Chili's food. That I needed. I needed to look up this time because I felt like the writing was excellent. 
Should we get into the episode? No, no, no. I'm not done with Chili's yet. What would you say is like, well, because I was thinking that like, okay, yeah. What would be like the equivalent? What is the great American restaurant nowadays? Like it used to be McDonald's, but I don't think it's that anymore. I mean, fast food kind of chain yeah. Garbage uh, uh, food. I'm trying to think like Cracker Barrel, but I feel like that's a very specific. Yeah, that's very specific. I I feel at a loss. If it isn't Chili's, then I feel like I've really lost my grip on the culture. Yeah, yeah. We've aged yeah. out, perhaps, you know? We've aged, I think we've aged out. This would be a good thing. We can uh, pose this question to our students this week and see if we come back with anything, anything good from... Uh... <laughs> If they, say, if they say like Papa John's, I'll be so disappointed. I'll be like, get out of yeah. my class. Yeah. I mean, maybe Chipotle. You mentioned Chipotle. I feel like that, that might be it, but it's different. It's different. Right. It's different. It's just not the same sit down kind of thing. Uh, so now I feel like I'm really sort of mourning a lost era of the primacy of Chili's. When you were young, did you go to a restaurant with your family and drink endless amounts of soda? (laughs) 100%. Me too. When we were allowed, I feel like it was, my dad always made a big deal if he would let us get a meal and like the burger and, or the chicken fingers and fries and a Coke. Because in his family, he could always only get two. It was like, you get a Coke and a burger, or you get fries and a burger, but you don't get all three things. Whoa. You know, you be economical in your going out to eat. So I feel like it was always a big thing that we got to order a drink and yeah, took full advantage down that bottomless Coke. I definitely, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, oh, right. I would go out to restaurants, my parents and drink a Sprite and they just kept refilling that Sprite or whatever. And I would drink like four yeah. pint glasses of Sprite, you know, and it's like. <laughs> it's a lot of Sprite. Yeah. <laughs> Which may explain lots of problems that I have, but I was like, oh, maybe that's, you know, something that's really shifted to maybe like for, I don't know, it feels like younger, my students are so um, indoctrinated into the logic of fitness, wellness, and good living or whatever, you know, which is not to say that they are actually like eating better than I did at, you know, age 18 or whatever. But anyway, but I did, I was like, oh, maybe that's, that's sort of shit. Our whole culture has kind of moved towards a different thing. So maybe, I don't know. I don't know what would replace that kind of guilty pleasure, but. Yeah, that is interesting because it feels like the kind of social ideas around downing four margaritas is different than downing four Diet Cokes. Where yes. It's like cheer to drink that much Diet Coke for some reason. Yeah. I really disagree with. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. But that uh, that binge drinking of of Sprite was a real highlight of of Chili's nights. All right. Well let's let's go to Chili's um, in uh, in Scranton. Um, <laughs> Take it there. So this is the Dundies, right? And uh, I'll just read the brief description of it uh, and then we can jump in. So the staff prepares to endure the annual office award ceremony just as Michael learns corporate won't pay for it. So yeah, in that description, I don't know. I mean, like the, uh, 
corporate not really paying doesn't really make much of a difference, does it? I guess, except that they don't have an open bar and, um, and he invites family, but neither of those things really seem to matter to the story, do they? Right. I think he triumphs. I feel like he's really, you know, he's like really, really worried that this is going to ruin the whole thing, but it ends up okay. And only um, Roy and Daryl walk out and he makes it through. He still gets to have his dundies. Well, so tell me why you love this episode so much or why you think about it all the time. You know, when you think about it, what comes to mind? This is such a vast and maybe unanswerable question. Why do I love this episode so much? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I, ha- I feel really strongly that I love it. There's something about the chilies thing that I love. I love the awards. I love Michael. I love the development of the Jim and Pam situation. I guess there's like lots of little things in it that I really enjoy. And maybe it's that I think that this episode really combines for me all of the experiences that I love about watching The Office. So it has the humor. It's got the parts that just really, really make me laugh. It's got the interesting social critique, I think, the things, you know, that are like about gender and about race and about Michael's kind of social issues, if you will. And then it also has the vulnerability and the emotional kind of poignant, really touching parts. So I feel like it just hits all of, uh, what is it? Hits all of those key feelings of the office, I guess. Yeah, I love that. I love that as a description of like what the office offers uh, as a as a mood or a vibe that it combines humor, critique, and vulnerability. I, like that's such an interesting map of it uh, that you've offered for us. Um, <laughs> I will say that uh, it the, just it really brought me back to our early conversations where we're like, oh, Michael wants to be a certain kind of co- comedy guy. Yeah, I was like, here, that is like manifest. Uh And love of Bob Hope comes back too. that really cracked Mm -hmm. me up. Yes. When he's in the back, in the back room of Chili's. I love that when he's, he's kind of taking his breaks off set. And back there and he's sweating. And he says something like, Oh, now I know how Bob, Bob Hope felt in Saudi Arabia. Um, It's just such a kind of high feeling for him. And I love how he compares himself to the comedy classics in that way. So, but what do you think, how are we to take uh, the, the dynamics around Michael's humor? So we see him essentially, or Oscar, who really gets center stage in this episode in a way that we haven't really seen too much of him. Like he's not really a character here but he is like a commentary and he's basically like we all go and Michael is like a little kid and he gets the attention and it's really just for Michael's like you know narcissism or whatever um yeah so he's but he makes these hurtful jokes Mm -hmm. um which you know are like Jim tries to you know guide him away from and uh and clearly like Pam is hurt by them Kevin is ambivalent, I guess, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Kelly, you know, Angela, like he, he makes these jokes that are pretty, um, you know, insensitive and rude and racist and sexist and whatnot. Yeah. But then someone else outside of the group makes fun of his singing when he's singing Elton John and Pam is drunk and like, I guess feels bad for Michael. And so then rallies everybody to be like, no, it's okay. And it's funny. And so I just wasn't sure what to make of that. Like, is mm-hmm. it about like, are we meant to dismiss? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, wh- what did you make of that whole dynamic? Cause there was something interesting to me about like it being inside the group versus being yeah. outside the group, witnessing it. And yeah. why does, why do things change once the outsiders agree with what the insiders already feel? There are so many things there that I want to talk about. Let's maybe start from the guys who make fun of him. So when he's singing Elton John, and this comes right after that place when he compares himself to Bob Hope and he's backstage and it feels like he's in this really, this moment of kind of a high about it and feeling really good, feeling like he's getting to be like his heroes and be this great comedy performer who travels the world uh, to, you know, do his set. And then he comes out and there are these younger, how would you describe them? They're tall and they seem cool, right? Like tall, kind of youngish, kind of. Douchebags? Douchebags, yeah. <laughs> Douchebags, that's what I was looking for. Right. That's what I would say, but I don't know if, you know, that's where. That's it. No, that's definitely, that's definitely the vibe. But so he comes back out after feeling so good, I think. And then they start heckling him. One thing that was striking to me is the way that at first he handles them like a comedian, kind of handles people in the crowd and does sort of crowd work thing. Yes. And he first says, hey, where are you guys from? But that like, it doesn't doesn't work. He can't manage it that way. They say, you suck, man, you suck. And when he, so he kind of drops the mic down to his side and he just looks so dejected. Yeah. And I think it's interesting the way uh, Michael with his humor seems like a bully. And I guess he is a bully in a lot of ways with his humor, but at the same time, uh, I feel like it shows us sometimes where that comes from and the sort of false bravado that he has compared to these guys. And I don't know about you, but watching it, I sort of have a sense that this isn't a totally unfamiliar experience to Michael. Yeah. That kind of being, um, you know, sort of beaten up on by guys who are cooler than he is. Um, Like It feels like it's really a part of his story and kind of a part of who he is. I don't know, what do you think? No, I, th- I think that that's really right. I mean, it's def- I hadn't really put together um, that like he starts to do crowd or tries to do crowd work. And <laughs> I really, I really would love to hear from you know, the writers if like they, if they were thinking of the show in some sense as either, you know, a commentary or a meta commentary on, you know, certain types of comedians or, mm-hmm. or more specifically 
certain types of guys who who like idolize a certain kind of masculine comedian you know or or it's yeah. not even about masculinity but like a, you know um a certain yeah just a certain type of guy who does these kinds of jokes mm-hmm. and um so yeah I love that point because that definitely feels like what is happening I guess um that makes us and Pam feel bad for him and I get I think I feel like this is always my like maybe it's inherent to the show itself, but I just, I hate how, and I hate how this happens in real life that like bullies end up winning either way. Like they end up getting all of the attention because, or they get end up getting what they want, or if they don't get what they want, then they they end up getting all the attention because everybody is like trying to soothe their feelings or pity them or placate them or whatever. And the show does not, or this story did not make it clear that people are placating Michael in a way that they're like, ugh, like, all right, you know, instead they genuinely seem to kind of come together as a collective. And maybe that's like undercut a little bit by the fact that Pam is like kind of shit faced mm-hmm. because her fiance walked out. You know, so it's like as much as she's like having a great time, it's also so clear that she's like trying to cover up her anger and her uh, shame about this relationship. I, I, yeah, I was kind of curious what you made of Pam's character here. Oh, and she wrote on the wall. Do we find yeah. out what she wrote on the wall? I can't remember. No, I think I don't think it ever tells us. It's just ah. that it's something I wrote about Michael on the wall. Yeah, so that'll be an eternal mystery. Um, we should speculate. No, let's not. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Pam's reaction in that moment. And you're right, because Pam is one of the people at that point, at that point when she kind of rallies people back to Michael's side, you know, to, to allow him to continue. She doesn't yet know that she's going to get a different award than the longest engagement award. Yes. So that still is the thing that might be coming for her. And you're right, she is on the one hand drunk and trying to have a good time and kind of remove herself from all the negative feelings with Roy. But at the same time, and the thing with Michael is I think the show really holds together that he can both be a jerk and he can also be someone that you can care about and feel for. And I do feel like she feels feels for him and and sympathizes with him in that moment I feel like just in the way that she I guess looking at her eyes I feel like I'm always looking at their eyes like the visual acting or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, but there's just a little kind of thing in her eyes as she's watching him and his reaction and you can kind of feel her feeling for him and then wanting to turn the crowd Mm. I think no, that's totally true. Um, and it's so interesting that he chooses the white shoes uh, because yes. it's not um, its not what, like, it, it, there's no value judgment on them, right? They are just simply the whitest shoes. And um, <laughs> I thought that that was very, like, I, I thought that that was actually kind of interesting as a model for what in-joke humor can be I don't know it's not that it's an intro but like like it's such a interesting example like there's no shame in it it's descriptive right 
and it's yeah. like you wear white shoes and I don't know there's just I yeah. thought that was actually like clever writing so I was like I bet it would have been really hard to think about what to give her an award for without making it either too redemptive like too yeah. positive or too or like too close to something that anybody might feel shame about um yeah. so I, I actually thought that was like really smart writing and also maybe said something about like how to tell jokes that it's almost like it's like not the punchline itself but the like context and orient like the vibe in which that punchline is told uh -huh. matters here um yeah but I also really like that Pam thanked God I thought that that <laughs> was so funny and I was gonna ask you why do you think when people win awards that they thank God <laughs> Yeah, let's see. I want to get up her her quote. So she, first of all, the way that she looks <laughs> and she takes the mic and she goes up to receive the award, and you can see the kind of stress in her before when she when Michael's setting it up that like this next one is going to be for our very own little Pam Beasley or something like that, and it's just bringing her back to the Roy thing and thinking it's going to be the longest engagement award. And she goes up to accept it and she just has her mouth wide open, like, you know, in kind of shock and delight. And yeah, she says, uh, she thanks her kids. And she says, let's give Michael a round of applause because this is a lot harder than it looks. And also because of Dwight, I think, and it kind of sounds like she's thanking Dwight, but I think what she's saying is it's harder than it looks because of Dwight so there's this yeah. little thing in her wording but yeah finally I want to thank God because God gave me this Dundee and I feel God in this Chili's tonight <laughs> it's just such a perfect moment where it is so ridiculous <laughs> because um I don't know. Yeah, that idea of of there being a god who's organizing the Dundee <laughs> <laughs> and kind of selecting people in that way. <laughs> At the same time, it has this kind of sincere <laughs> vibe to it yeah. when she's delivering it. <laughs> so I don't know. I think one of my favorite parts about that is also watching Jim watch her because he has this look on his face that's like stunned enjoyment where it's like it's so funny and so bizarre what she's saying and he just um I don't know I feel like you just feel the the feeling building there yeah <laughs> I, 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 not I, thanking God for the Dundee I plan to text you uh, I feel God in this Chili's on a frequent basis that's going to be a new meme let's get in here a sign if ever you are in a chillies <laughs> yes there it is um One interesting way though of like of bringing religion into it i don't i think that this is the first time is this the first time religion has come up in the show and it's, it's such an interesting question. way of kind of entering the workplace <laughs> and is it partly like you know she's got a barrier down because of the beers and the margaritas and you know She's I, I was genuinely curious, like, wait, do we have anybody's, um, do we know anything about anybody's religion? Do we know? But my, you know, my sense is that Pam, I don't know. She just seems like somebody who goes to church, maybe. 
I know that that's stereotypical, but like, I don't know, I keep thinking like, okay, Scranton, Pennsylvania, it's kind yeah. of a, a conservative area, you know, but on the other hand, we don't really ever, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's such an interesting way. And I mean, it definitely works too, as this like satire of award shows where yeah. celebrities are like, oh God got me this Oscar. And like, it's <laughs> yeah. so sincere and genuine until what you just said, which I'd never really imagined it, but it's like, oh, right. Like that would mean God sitting there being like, oh no, it's gotta be Jared Leto this year. You know, not, <laughs> not Leonardo DiCaprio, like, you know, it's Jared's year or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And we Some know that happened. God has nothing better to do. Uh, so why not? <laughs> Um, now, what about Ryan winning the hottest, uh, what is it, what is it? Hottest? hottest in the Office Award. Hottest in the Office, that's it, yeah. Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> I know you've mentioned this before. I'm harassment on Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I used the Hottest in the Office Award as a potential runner-up Dundee before. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> God, what do I think about the Hottest in the Office Award? He says, okay, he says this one, it's for Ryan the Temp. I also love how he calls him still Ryan the Temp. Someone who really lights up the office, who I think a lot of us cannot keep from checking out. I feel like, yeah, we get this development of, of Michael's love for Ryan that feels new here. It's interesting how he's so open to <laughs> expressing his, like Ryan's greatness in, uh this sort of sexual way yeah and ryan's reaction to afterward is so interesting and i think the reactions of people to michael are really important there are several of those that i want to talk about but when he goes back um after so he's he's in one of those little interviews but we see him like when michael calls him for the award his his eyes kind of go back and forth like oh god what is this going to be and when he's back then for the um, interview with the film crew, he says, what am I gonna do with the award? Nothing, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. That's the least of my concerns right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know that like, I, when I, re I was like, okay, I know that like, I should read that in relationship to sexual harassment <laughs> in some ways. Like he's now a part of a hostile work environment. On the other hand, <laughs> I definitely yeah. read it in, uh, I mean, I sort of enjoyed, yeah, like the the light uh, queer possibilities here for Michael yeah. as a character yeah. and the idea that his, um, his uh, objectification uh, knows no bounds uh, by Jennifer, yes. sort of enjoyed that. And, um, and, and, and uh, Ryan's reaction reminded me of, Jim's early on kind of like what am I doing here like what how can I be stuck in this job you know so I wasn't quite sure how to read his like bewilderment um whether uh -huh. he's like has gay panic whether he feels uh you know um unsafe or whether he's just reflecting on you know the life that has brought him to this moment I don't know yes, yes. <laughs> uh. Did you think uh, Jan should have shown up to the to the party? <laughs> no, yeah. I, think that, I don't think she has the right energy for this kind of Michael party. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was very funny when she's like, 
he says, you've dropped an A-bomb on me. And she's like, an atomic bomb? Really, Michael? (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right, actually, that like you need Michael. The show is about everybody's reactions to Michael. It's not, a. I mean, I suppose in some sense it is about Michael, but like you need Michael to get everybody else's. How do you deal with being around a person like this? How do you get through the day and like so yeah yeah <laughs> I just really loved her being like I'm gonna take your hyperbole and I'm gonna like really try to yes. sit with it I thought it was very funny and it's the way I think that those little comments and reactions from other people how much they can um you know question him and sort of expose the problems and some of the things that he is saying yeah in a way that isn't too heavy-handed like it makes us it makes us think about it it points to that but in a way that doesn't become too teachy or like too much about giving us a nice lesson right and I thought about it this time in a couple of the key moments um one of them being Ping yeah right his um Asian character Ping and he puts on these weird glasses and he talks in a completely ridiculous accent and as he's doing it there's uh, an Asian family that is sitting at the table that's right behind him mm-hmm. and the girl who appears to be the daughter in the family just like is is looking and listening and gives this look that I feel like puts this huge comment on it yeah and I think that by putting those like it's it really does something it's like the reaction then gives us the critique I think another example of this is Kelly so it's interesting because here we have both South Asian and East Asian stereotypes because he gives Kelly Kapoor the spicy curry award and her reaction though is immediately questioned so she's like well what does that mean and he's like well you know it doesn't have to mean anything Kelly and she says well why did you give it to me then and so and he kind of uh you know like has that moment where the gears start to turn and I was thinking about this in comparison to a show um have you ever seen the Aziz Ansari show Master of None yeah so that's like a really um a show that I thought was an interesting contrast to this, where it's talking about racism and it talks about immigration and it talks about sexism, but it did so in a way that feels much more heavy handed to me. And I felt like thinking about the contrast helped me understand something about The Office. So let me give you an example. Okay. An episode that's about sexism in that show. And I looked it up and this is the description. This is the summary of that episode. Rachel and Denise school Dev and Arnold about the difficulties of being a woman in a world of creepy dudes. Dev is inspired to embrace feminism. I like kind of eye roll about it. And that really was the feel of the episode though. It felt very heavy handed and like you're taught a lesson like, oh, dudes are creepy. There are difficult things that women face. Let's make a change and it feels like okay that's fine I don't disagree with that message right I'm not I'm not making a sexism argument but this is a really different kind of critique I think where it doesn't hand it to us Michael doesn't become 
like he doesn't have some kind of major lesson or transformation, but it, by putting him against these other characters, like um, the girl who's at the table and like Kelly, I think that it makes a critique, but in a way that's more subtle. And I think people could question, you know, is it more effective? Do you need to be more just like straight up and, you know, main text rather than subtext about it? But um, I found it pretty powerful, I think. I You're, I, you're really um, saying so many things that I find really interesting and are helping me think about how I feel about it. Because like my, like, my cynical alternative take when I was, or sometimes when I'm watching it, but also I feel this way about other things like um, certain aspects of like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. If you ever watch that show, which is a show mm -hmm. I really like, but um, also tries to do this kind of like ironic critique of racism or other things, but usually specifically racism. And and I'm always like, okay, you know, the danger of reiterating the thing and then people taking it earnestly, you know, and missing the point that these people, you know, the people doing the thing are bad people or whatever. Um, but on the other hand, I'm sometimes like, you know, it's not a show's fault if people read it poorly, right? Like, and I don't think that the work, you know, that all art or entertainment is meant to be uh, like somehow morally redemptive or whatever um but it, but i the, by framing it as a question of like all right well, how do you make this kind of what is the difference in making these two kinds of critiques like i think you can make the critique of the unsari show just on the flip side too to say like okay by showing us this moral redemption this political awakening uh to feminism you know you also perhaps um put a nice little bow on what yeah. is in fact much, yeah. it's much more often the case that, that we see Michaels in the world and how do people like deal with their, with his microaggressions or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, you know, certainly I, that question of subtext versus main text is so interesting. And it seems like it'll be, it'll be really important to make Kelly a more substantive character, but it is interesting in that scene, like, you know, by showing the family, but also showing us that he, um, uh, like is adopting all his jokes from like famous white old male comedians. Like, <laughs> I think it's also telling us that like, yeah, like a whole kind of generation of comedy thought this was funny mm -hmm. and did it, um, you know, and it was racist and it still yeah. is racist. And mm -hmm. So it's like, in some ways, his his, reprodu his reproduction of these bits, um, mm -hmm. it's not just about his racism, right? It's like about the racism of white male comedy as it's been canonized. So I thought that was definitely yeah. there. And then also when Kelly's pushing back and calling him on it, he's like, just sit down, you know? And it's like, right, he's a boss. He has the microphone. I do think the show is whether or not it asks us to sympathize with you know our corporate overlords it does always remind us that power is in play in a way that like he can tell her to sit down because of his his white privilege his male privilege and his like literal power as a boss i don't know mm -hmm. those are just some of my thoughts but what you're saying is very interesting to me and i love that comparison i think the the thing with the show too is I feel like it doesn't 
clearly delineate at all like, good people and bad people. Yes. Right? Like it doesn't seem to have those as separate or as clear categories. And I think that's the thing with Michael too, with any of these and the issue with his power too, of like the way that it's moving and that he has it and then doesn't have it and then get some of it back, you know, where he like his, his placement in a sort of hierarchy is not itself stable at all. That's right. You're right. But so interesting. Yeah. I think I don't, cause it's really, it seems complicated about people and it doesn't, it feels like it doesn't have to pick or, or it seems like the writers don't feel that they have to pick and kind of, um, you know, I guess come to a kind of neat, I like the way you said it, the thing about like, do you tie it up into a nice little lesson where Michael is redeemed? Well, like people don't actually work that way and sexism don't work that way. And so, yeah, what effect does it have to sort of pretend that they do versus leave us in this sort of ongoing comfort of dealing with it? Yeah, right. Because that is, you know, one of the dangers of that narrative is like, oh, it's about changing hearts and minds when like, you know, or I I don't think it is, right? It's about structures. It's about systems. It's about all kinds of um, ways in which racism and sexism and other oppressions are embedded within all kinds of discourses and ideologies and like literal legal systems. So one person, you know, awakening or vice versa, be, you know, let's say Jan comes in, she sees him do ping and he's fired, you know, uh, like, you know, so the idea of sort of purging him too is, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely dicey and complicated and I, and I feel that discomfort, um, you know, and, uh, and maybe that's what it's going for. Um, I just really love your insight that the show doesn't really delineate good and bad people. I, I really think that's so smart and so true. And it might be why I, I'm, it's growing on me. Like the cringiness is tough, but the <laughs> something that's kind of, I almost feel like the show kind of suggests that everyone is cringy, like that that's mm-hmm. the baseline. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> like everybody is sort of embarrassing and uh-huh. and kind of kind of awkward um yeah and, yeah and 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 yeah in theory right like Pam and Jim are like I mean I guess you can read it as like oh they're truly meant to be together so it's okay that they're effectively you know trumpeting like a, a cheating plot you know but um <laughs> but it, the show doesn't even moralize that right it doesn't yeah, really um anyway yeah well I think we should talk about Jim and Pam some more but can we first talk about Stanley's award yes <laughs> fine so work that's the fine work award <laughs> and I love that this is a this is another one of those um terms from the office that I've taken into my own life and I often like to give my dog the fine work award for all the fine work she does you know if she's good if she goes on a walk or whatever to say, you know, give her, give her the fine work award. So I don't know why I just think that that's a hilarious award. Do you give her like a treat when she, or, or do you, is there a Dundee yeah. shaped treat? Just, it's just verbal recognition. Understood. Understood. <laughs> <Meaningless> to her. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I don't know why I just always have the fine work award sort of in my pocket and ready to go. Um, but yeah, what reaction did you have to this reward? I just thought that Stanley was a really standout um, figure in this episode. Yeah, and he had, we get some more Stanley personality here. Yeah, and I thought he had really funny moments like mm -hmm. leading up to the award. So he's like, we need more appetizers. Yes! <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. And then also, um, you know, uh, he has the, uh, oh, think about his family and, and Stan, yeah. or he, he sort of calls Michael out on like, you said we were gonna, you were gonna pay and you told us to bring our families. It's like, oh, where's yours? And he's like, she's right here. And yeah. um, so, so I don't know, there was just, and then, you know, there was something really funny to me about him getting the fine work award and he makes a joke out of it, right? He's like, I don't know how to feel about this because I got the great work award last time. Yes. <laughs> so there was something about showing us his ability to kind of take things in stride and be like, eh whatever, yeah. Um, yeah. which I appreciated. Uh, yeah, I don't know, that's about as much as I thought. I just thought his performance was really funny. And uh, I have to imagine that that actor is like, I, I don't know, it, it, it just seems like a really good performance because it's hard for me to imagine that they are not like that all the time. Yeah. Like it's hard for me, but I can't imagine that that actor is actually like that. So, oh. but he's so believable in, in in the way that he has this kind of grouchy mm -hmm. sort of um, disaffected annoyance yeah, with Michael. Like he's, he's so annoyed with Michael's ineptitude and it always, oh, every set, no matter what he says, it's clear. And I just yeah. love that. You're right. Stanley seems like in some ways the one who like watching his, I don't know, facial expressions and side eyes and his comments and his sighs and stuff like that. He sort of gives more constant stream of commentary. That's true. Ridiculousness than anybody. Yeah. One um, of the things I've wondered about with his award is that the other people's awards, Michael is much more edgy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Angela's tight ass award, um, Ryan's hottest in the office award all that stuff and it I, i've been about i want to i want to float out a theory about this award it might be totally wrong but i'm often thinking okay like what's the deal with the cautiousness and sort of basicness of this award that has like no substance to it and no edge mm. and i've been thinking about how michael kind of i think in this episode shows this sort of double tendency of whiteness and yeah. part of it comes in his response to Stanley and kind of not being able to imagine that the white woman who he doesn't, who Michael does not know, who's sitting across the table from Stanley would be his wife. So right. I think one of those tendencies is um, to use a phrase that my friend and, friend and colleague uses so nicely, I think is white people saying stupid shit. <laughs> That's part of it. But then the other one is excessive caution. Right. So not to offend, you know? So I feel like there's that, the saying stupid shit and then the excessive caution that becomes itself kind of uh, off yeah. a little bit unsettling in some way. And it reminded me, I was thinking of, um, did you read The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde? Yes. 
I do know Diaz. So there's this line when he talks about the um, protagonist, this Afro-Latino kid who's in high school. And there's a line about the white kids treating him with inhuman cheeriness. Mm-hmm. And it sort of reminded me of that line, inhuman cheeriness. And not that it's exactly cheery- cheeriness at this point, but that like a kind of caution that he doesn't use with other people. So it's definitely both things. He's not always cautious with Stanley, like in the basketball episode, Stanley, of course, <laughs> secret weapon, all of that. Though so in those cases, it's like he, he doesn't know to anticipate kind of that it's going to be wrong. And I guess with the stupid thing he says about Stanley's wife, he also doesn't know that it's gonna be wrong. But right. in these other things, it's like he's trying to have this caution that he doesn't have with other people. That's so interesting. Oh my God, we're going to have to really like track that, you know, because I think, I mean, in some ways that might be partly the show's response to, or, you know, to the extent that they are trying to like warm Michael up, Mm -hmm. you know, or make him like less mean-spirited and less like overtly racist. um, (laughs) It would be interesting if they, to what extent is, are they like, you know, very aware of tr- trying to foreground this alternative microaggression of like stepping yeah. on shells, you know, and treating. Yeah, you know, alternative microaggression. Oh, I like that. You know, and I mean, I do, to, to, to argue in defense of the writing on that line, it's like, you know, really Michael's first line or not his first line, but his first not, you know, dialogue to other people is going up and doing the um, Fat Albert uh, voice, right? Yeah, right. Jim Fat Halbert. And then he says to Stanley, um, oh, no, you didn't, you know. So he's, tr- he's like, definitely, like, walking the line or trying to, like, step up to, you know, little slang terms or yeah. like whatever, <laughs> whatever he thinks of his cool speech. And that's, yeah. like, not only coded as black, I suppose, because there's the like, oh, that's TMI, or, you know, so there's this like attempt to be hip and cool, but it also is very specifically coded often, like, because he's always doing kind of slang accents or use, you know, trying to like speak in a racialized dialect or whatever. So, (laughs) so I was really thinking about that early on in the episode. And so if, it's really, I, I love your point that like maybe that um, is like the, the the reverse of that is his trying to be like excessively careful around. Uh-huh. I, I know it's interesting to think like what would the alternative choices have been in the writing, you know, um, like what could, they, what else could they have given Stanley or any other character as an award? Yeah. They yeah. must have brainstormed all kinds of options. <laughs> I love to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but oh my god, I just I really want to like keep keep going with this thing that you brought up about how Michael kind of performs whiteness and like the multiple <laughs> dynamics of it. As is, I think that's really interesting. We're getting close to our hour. I feel like we still need to talk a little bit, maybe about the Pam Jim Roy situation. Yeah, Do you think we should do that and then go to our Dundies? Yeah. Um, well, so I just, can you help clarify for me? I was a little confused. Why does Roy leave? Is it because they think they hear that he's not paying? And so it's just like, let's just go somewhere else. Yeah, I think so. 
because I think it's right after that. Um, and I can't remember, there might be something I'm missing there, but yeah, I think it's right after. So it's kind of like, you know, this is like, we're not staying on for this thing. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, what did you make of the Jim Pam uh, Roy dynamics here and, and how things play out? One thing, I guess, also in terms of the, the writing and kind of the structure of the show that I thought was really interesting in terms of giving some backstory on Jim, or I mean, on um, Pam and Roy and on the Dundies was doing that, uh, you know, Michael sending Pam to collect highlights <laughs> from yeah. footage. That was such an interesting way, I think, of like building the history of it into the show a little bit. That was so clever. And to be like, yeah, she's ma essentially making like a clip show, right? But like, yeah, we get to see and, and to show us not only that they've done it so many times or whatever, and that he films them, but also that he always gives her this award and that she's always yes. humiliated. And the shot is so great of Roy leaves the frame to go up and the camera like slides over. So we yeah. see Jim and Pam in a two shot and like their backs are to each other, but their heads are kind of turned towards, Ooh. they're angled in a way that, you know, you just, he, you can see yeah. that he feels bad for her. And um, I thought that that was wonderful. Like it's very simple. Such a good point about the shot, the way that it physically and emotionally then puts them together as Roy walks out for that. Hmm. I think, the longest engagement award is hilarious. You <laughs> <laughs> agree with Michael. <laughs> I think Michael was right on with this. <laughs> and he says it, it gets funnier every year. That, and I was like, that is true in some sense, but also really wrong. Right. It does get funnier. <laughs> and I guess this is the thing with comedy. It walks an edge and it takes risks and it is I see his joke. I see why it's funny. Um, but it also, also really see why it feels so sad um, for Pam. I thought Jim's intervention was interesting. And I don't know if we've yeah. seen him so clearly intervene uh, to like, to, to, to in an attempt to impact Pam's emotions or life. I would have to look back at like our notes on all the other episodes, but but the way that he does it is to say, no, the joke is funny, but people will think you don't have original material. And I was like, oh, that was so really well designed for him to like puncture Michael's ego and make it about originality <laughs> rather than about empathy, because Michael's incapable of empathy, or at least it seems that way. And if he knew that Jim had feelings for Pam, even slightly, he would exploit that. So. So Jim like positions himself in solidarity. It's like, oh no, yeah, of course what you do is really yeah. fun. And um, that reminded me of how I've definitely been around narcissists and like sometimes just agree with them to get, and I'll say like, I love this point you made and they never made that point, but they'll be like, yeah, 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 that point. And, uh, you know, just to like get things moving towards a direction without, because if you make it about any feelings, like they're, it, anyway. That moment. Tyler, I love that strategy. I definitely <laughs> have done trying, that. 
so much. <laughs> now I'm going to file back and see, have you used that on me? No, no, no. <laughs> You're not a narcissist. But I will plant. I, I will take good idea plants from you and own them to feel good about myself. I am very open to that. <laughs> but you're right. It's such a such a perfect uh, moment of good persuasion, <laughs> like of knowing to persuade on your audience's terms. So yes. he's like, I want to put this in terms of Michael's comedic act and <laughs> what's gonna what's gonna tighten up his set and make it more yeah. impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that was interesting. Then let's see. Oh, his line. Okay, so Pam and Roy leave, mm -hmm. and uh, Ryan says, "Are you gonna stay?" And he's like, "We gotta eat somewhere." <laughs> I, I, got, I was like, "Fuck you, Jim! Like you are getting to eat at Chili's. You're not just eating anywhere." And by the looks of his plate, it seems to me that he has ordered the Awesome Blossom. Uh, you know, oh, so great point. He's in heaven. I don't care what. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, but I thought that was interesting. He stays. He doesn't chase after him. He doesn't go to the other bar. He stays and she comes back. And the look of pleasure on his <laughs> face when she drinks his beer is so charming. Um, yes, we're back to charm. Yeah, I thought that, that I really thought that that was a really interesting like way to do courtship was yeah. like, to, I, and I used the word courtship the other day in class and I was like, oh, I sound like a million years old, but like, I don't even know what to call it, like falling in love, but they're not like they might be, but it's, it's more specific than that. It's like very small. It's like how you share space with somebody that you are into and like the, the small moments and reactions. Yeah. And I think that word, I think courtship too, like it emphasizes the sort of practice and the conventions and the like the form of it. Yeah, I, do you have thought, yeah, yeah. I think too, just the, yeah, I feel like the moments, the ways that Jim uh, looks at her, the way that after, so she gets her award, she goes, she throws her arms around his neck and kisses him. Mm. And, you know, he, he kind of backs up, but like his look of uh, shock, but like that, you know, trying to keep it cool, but also, um, the sort of happiness and delight that he feels in that. And then there's the final, um, the scene in the parking lot. Mm. Oh my God. Like this thing didn't this time, but can bring me to tears sometimes when Pam is waiting for Angela to come and pick her up. And she says to Jim, Hey, um, can I ask you a question? And Jim leans in so quick to hear her question in just this adorable way like he's so ready to hear whatever the thing is you know there are two unspoken pam things one I is this say that. bathroom wall like he said yeah these things that we never get to know and it sort of kills me yeah because she kind of you know like turns and she sort of is reminded of the camera and reminded of um i don't know to like gather herself or whatever and the moment passes and it's gone i thought that was very interesting because i was like oh is are we meant to think that she's become self-conscious because of what she would say on the camera like or is she self-conscious that there are other people watching 
mm-hmm. or is she self or is she worried about it being recorded and therefore played back later? You know, it could be both, yeah. but it That's was interesting. Inter- interesting. To be, yeah. Just going to say, cause there's even like the internal, like the kind of internalized level of it where the camera makes it like a, a kind of literal external, but also her kind of her own check, you know, like what, what is she going to get into if she says this? Oh, what right. And then it becomes real. Then there was the, um, yeah, and the kiss can be like sort of brushed away as like, oh, I was drunk or something, you know. Exactly, Um, yeah. It was really interesting to me in that scene, there there are no cuts to reaction shots from other people. So nobody else seems to register. Like you can imagine a version of this scene where you cut to Michael, you cut to Oscar and people being like, whoa, you know, and, but by not doing that, the show takes it in stride Hmm. um, and passes over it. Like there, it's actually like, there's a lot of subtlety in this episode of things that are not uh, like on the one hand, like you said, we get tons of reactions. And then on the other hand, lots of absent reactions or, or articulations. It's not like Pam is a secret, like, but the, but what, what meaning can we make out of the fact that there are two things that will, that we will not learn as audience members uh, I mean, the one is written on a wall, so other women in the office know it. So it's like gendered knowledge about yeah. Michael. It's like a a, a social, yes, secret social transcript or whatever, you know, or a, a private, um, you know, inside joke or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's. But then the question, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything to say. I, I just, I think cool. it's really, you hit on the thing. Oh, I love that. I think that's so cool. What did you call it? A secret social transcript? I don't know, something like that. I mean, it Never just, sure. but there's that. So like, it, it would be possible for us to know that or other people in the office know yeah. that information, but we don't know and can't know what she was going to ask. Mm-hmm. What do you think she was going to ask? I feel like, I feel like part of what actually so good is maybe that we don't know. Yeah. I think it would be less satisfying. On the one hand, it's not satisfying, but it's like the satisfaction of not being satisfied here. Puts, it puts so much onto it when we don't know and yeah. when we don't have that kind of closure. Yeah, and maybe it like amplifies the desire that yeah, we totally. both have, but Jim has. Um, you've made me notice, I think you've had the points about the camera and the shots that I hadn't really thought about, but that happens then at the, I guess one of the other places we could think about the camera situation and the way they shoot it is afterward. And so then pan, the, the moment kind of passes, Pam gets in Angela's car and drives away and Jim doesn't walk right away to his car. He stands there nice. and the camera stays first on him alone from behind and then close on his face. And the vulnerability face, Tyler, my heart can hardly take it. <laughs> you really like Jim, don't you? Sometimes I yeah. have mixed feelings about Jim, but here all in for Jim. How do you feel about Jim here? I found him incredibly charming and adorable. And um, 
but I think there's some, I'm trying to think this is going to, I like, I feel very self-conscious lately talking because I've been talking with other people who are, who are way more knowledgeable than me about all things. Uh, but especially about like earlier texts and historical texts and, you know, precedent, like, cause I, you know, you and I work on 20th century stuff and like the danger of that is everybody always tells us yes, but actually of course <laughs> the character Jim really appears in Othello or whatever, you know, I don't know, I, whatever, but, um, how okay. problematic, how problematic are actually people? Yeah, very, <laughs> um, I just, I just try to avoid ever now making any claim about like originality. I'm just like, yeah, that's great. So that's another example, but. Go but my, for it. This is a space for us to make claims <laughs> that can't necessarily be supported. <laughs> Nobody was really listening to us anyway, so it doesn't matter. But, but um, do we have a lot of examples of seeing men fall in love with women? Like in a romantic comedy, yes, you know, you do sometimes have men be the main character, and they are often like pursuing the object and, you know, sort of failing or whatever. But I don't know. There's something about this love story where like Jim is, at least up until this point, like by necessity and by nature and by the story, just passive. And yeah. so, but on the other hand, like we, so something very small, like, his passive reaction to taking the beer or to her driving off gets to register all of this desire mm -hmm. and, and um, unrequited yearning. And, and I don't know, like, I'm just kind of curious if we see men experiencing passive yearning and desire like that. Cause I feel like normally when I picture it, I'm picturing men being much more actively desiring, you know, chasing mm -hmm. down the the airplane or, or the the train station or something. I mean, I suppose those are the culminating climactic moments, but still um, yeah. often men are often in romantic comedy plots. I feel like aloof as well too. There's like, Oh, I didn't realize. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I just, maybe that's something that is, oh, that's so I don't, I don't know if this is true. It's just something I was thinking about. Yeah. It makes me want to put him into like a longer history of the sonnet or something <laughs> presentations of men longing for women and in yeah. what ways do they do so and yeah how does Jim that's <laughs> such a good question that I feel like we need to do some research <laughs> but it like totally plays into a very conventional mate straight masculinity because like he's not gonna say anything about his feelings to us, to the camera, to Michael, you know, whatever. So like we get to experience it with his gym face, but like, yeah. it's not, it's not going to be verbally articulate. Maybe it will be eventually, but for now it's like, um, all affect. It's not. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. Those are the thoughts I had about him, but I definitely was like, also, I don't know. I thought uh, Pam's drunk self was very funny. Like it made me laugh. Yeah. She was very sweet. <laughs> I love how excited she is about her, about her Dundee and the whole thing. Are you ready to give a Dundee yourself? I think I am. I think I am. Uh, I'm ready. I know exactly who's getting my Dundee. It was clear to me from the start. Ooh. Okay. Uh, Can I do a side person before I do my Dundee? Because there's something now I have a Dundee, but something 
want to recognize and reference, though we won't get into it. And that is Dwight in this yeah. episode. We didn't and talk about him at all. We didn't talk about Dwight at all. Maybe we, we might have to circle back next time for with a uh, corrections and omissions section <laughs> for <laughs> overlooking Dwight in yes. this episode. But when Pam shirtless Dwight, off, shirtless Dwight, yeah, shirtless Dwight. This is the second time we've had shirtless Dwight because yes. in basketball, you know, he offers to play skins here. His shirt is off. <laughs> when Pam falls off the stool, Dwight immediately swings into action. He jumps over the bar. Here's another example of a heroic male. <laughs> and he says, it's okay, I'm a sheriff's deputy. And then Jim kind of quietly jumps in. I hadn't noticed this before until my second watch this time. And he says, well, he's a volunteer. I was like, he's a volunteer sheriff's deputy. And Dwight says something like, that's not important right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I just think Dwight has a really, really stellar performance here. But he's totally. not my Dundee. He's not my Dundee. Tyler, why don't you start us off with your Dundee? Uh, Mike Dundee is unnamed, uh, but this person will live on in infamy. It is the Chili's employee who yes. bans Pam Beasley from the chain. Yes. Uh, he, he says, uh, we have a strict policy here not to overserve. Apparently, this young woman was sneaking drinks off other people's tables. I Xerox her driver's license, and she is not welcome to this restaurant chain ever again. And so uh, this employee uh, gets the um, Dundee, rule-following Dundee, uh, and, um, and also responsible, uh, you know, responsible uh, um, uh, alcohol policy uh, Dundee. So, yeah. but I also thought that actor was really funny. They had one, you know, just one, you know, I mean, two lines, essentially, one moment, and was so funny and memorable and the way they sort of clicked their tongue at the end was yes. delightful so so anyway yeah i thought and also you know i mean it's a, the chili's worker and chili's workers need to be honored because they work in a, in a holy do. place a divine they, space yes they provide a wonderful service to society um couple of things as you describe him that's making me think there are some ways that he's kind of an interesting parallel with Dwight as someone who is, you know, maintaining rule and order Two, I heard, I think I heard this on the office ladies podcast, which I stopped listening to because I felt like it was going to, uh, inform my analysis in ways that I didn't want to right. have. I didn't want the kind of word of authority from them. But I think if I remember correctly, they said that that guy actually is a Chili's employee. What? Like Chili's manager. Like he's not an actor. This could be wrong. My memory is faulty. It always potentially fails. But if if I'm misremembering it, at least is a really yeah. fun idea. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that he is actually a police manager. And there was something like some kind of um, policy or contract issue, you know, of doing it with Chili's. And anyway, he's he's the Chili's real deal. And then my big reveal is he was also my Dundee. No way! He did it! It happened! I Yeah, this is our first time. I love that guy. I agree. Excellent. He had a lot to handle that night yes. and he handled it really beautifully. So I want to give him the somehow I manage award, which is a reference to a book that Michael will eventually propose to write. So the somehow I manage award goes to the manager of that Chili's. I love that Chili's had the, um, 
<laughs> I don't know, the social responsibility to insist that the script like include something to make yes. it clear that they were not getting pan drunk. That's you know? what it was, exactly. Yes, that was, okay, you're bringing back my memory. That was the thing, is that they couldn't just uh, yeah, treat Chili's like it was a place to go and get trashed. They had to cl clarify that and that had to be in the script. Um, I love that, and the writers chose not to sacrifice the Chili's because that would have been the easiest yes. thing, right? It's like, yes. oh, we'll just call it, you know, whatever, um, you know, jalapenos. Farley's, the, the restaurant that they've referenced before, but they're yeah. like, we're going with Chili's. Yeah, they were like, no, no, we have, the joke of Chili's is more important than, yeah. than the, and also I think it's frankly, I think it's funnier. Like, I think it's funnier to have, um, not, not that like, oh, she was drinking off other people's drinks. Although I thought those scenes were really funny where she's like, are you going to drink this? Mm -hmm. But um, but that you would have her be banned is like, you know, yes. <laughs> really funny to me that like there's probably not a lot of places to go in Scranton. There's not a lot to do. And so to be banned from like the one chain restaurant is just a, a really great punchline. Yeah. Can you imagine how devastated we would be? Megan, I would I would be like, how can I, you know, pay penance or whatever? How can I repent? Um, you know, well, yeah, I, I would be mortified. I think, I think we brought it full circle, beginning from our love of chilies and ending on our love of chilies. Uh, well, I'm really excited for the next one, uh, which just glancing at the title sounds like it's going to be really relevant uh, to some of our conversations. So this episode two, season two, sexual harassment. <laughs> there we go. All right. All right. Well, I am Thank really excited. Thank you all for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. Bye.